This is your host, Mahal. And today, we have another special guest. And I am talking to Mr. Bill Senor. How are you today? I'm so good. Thank you very much. It's, it's great to be on your show. Thank you. It's great to have you in our show. Can you tell our audience listening a little bit about you? Well, um, I am a husband and father and grandfather. Uh, my wife, Eunice, I have two, three kids, uh, all adults, all working, all, all being established. They're all following Jesus. And I have two grandkids in the Chicago area, uh, six and, and one. So uh, hopefully more to come, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. I've been a pastor for 25 years. I was an engineer before that. I was a management consultant for a while. I ran my own business, part owner of an of a Inc. 500 business for a while. And now, I'm uh, for the last seven years, I've been doing my own not-for-profit, trying to help pastors and counselors and prison ministers and missionaries apply the gospel to mental health issues primarily, things like shame and loneliness, but also unforgiveness. That was my doctoral thesis, was what the Bible says about uh, really how to forgive. Wow, those are amazing. It's great. I also have a few um, pastor friends, so I could definitely add to you that list. <laughs> there we go. And um, so I have my first question is, when did you first encounter Jesus in your life? Yeah, I was, uh, well, I was raised in a religious family, a Christian family, and I say that, uh, I don't know if it ever caught, I was 21 when I actually made a decision on my own, was baptized, and, and it was after a really low in my life, uh, clearly doing stuff that I'm now ashamed of, and actually I can see now I was ashamed then, and I came to, and I got it, I realized uh, what happened inside of me was I recognized that God loves me. So I knew of God, but I never experienced his love. But it took 15 more years, and I really plunged into the Christian world and Bible studies and outreach and missionary stuff, and I plunged into it. I, I went to seminary. It was a seminary uh, in the office of the spiritual formation professor, uh, Dr. James Houston, and something happened, and I actually got, and this was so transformational, that God actually liked me. And the difference was, you know, I knew he loved me. My prefrontal cortex said, Jesus paid for that. He has to love you. I mean, this is my words, not the Bible's. He has to love me. Uh, but, you're, yeah, you don't feel it. That's tough. It was, it was 15 years later that I actually felt that God liked me and wanted to be with me and cared for me. And I went into immediate depression, honestly, because I, I saw I had wasted 15 years struggling for something that was already mine. There was something wrong with me, right? The shame was, I'm shame prone, so it was keeping me away from that. And it changed the trajectory of, of, of my ministry and how I preached the gospel. And uh, yeah, so I continue to do that. One of my greatest messages for people, I'm going to South Africa at the end of the year to talk to black township pastors. They're beat up, their people are beat up, they're shamed, they're struggling, and they're trying to t teach the gospel to their churches. and. And uh, what their people really want to experience is that even in that mess, they want to experience that God cares for them, that God is not ashamed of them, that God holds them up. And uh, that's the power of the gospel now. And, and I think we miss that way too much. Do you remember when was the time that you actually made the decision 
to accept Jesus as your personal savior and why did you end up doing yeah, that? Yeah, that would have been in, in 1977 and it was in the, the, the backwash of an adulterous affair and God brought uh, a, a young man into my life and just surprised me with the gospel that God would actually love somebody who had turned away from him so quickly. But he did. God loves sinners. And th that was a new concept for me. <laughs> that was a new concept for me. Why did you notice the difference between your life before and after you got saved? Oh, my goodness. Well, uh, so I was, like I said, I was shame prone. I've been through lots of conflicts, so I could go into why. But uh, there was something about God loving me, this, this God that I had known about, actually loving me as I was, the adulterer. God loving me as I was, the person who had betrayed him, who had turned away from him, and in the name of Jesus. I mean, I was quoting biblical verses. I'd, I'd learned the Bible, and yet he loved me as I was. That's a type of love that you just don't find here. And it rattled me. It changed me. It gave me uh, a new sense of purpose and confidence and freedom. Um, it, was, it was very powerful. But the more powerful was 15 years later when I realized that God, that God actually likes me as I am. Boy. Uh, that was dramatic. Uh, the first thing I did out of seminary was to start a church in the Vancouver, British Columbia area. And God was pleased to bring lots of rape victims to our church. We are just a little church. And we, the message that I was preaching brought a lot of uh, rape victims, uh, attempted murder victims, people from uh, different mother tongues. We had 10 mother tongues eventually in our church. But they all came because they heard of this God who loves shamed people who loves lonely people, who love people who feel rejected, who feel disempowered, disenfranchised. And it was dramatic what happened, the transformation. Those people became alive. And they became better women. They became better men. They became more loving. We, we, had, we were outreach central. I mean, we, we were speaking the gospel to, to troubled people. And it was being noticed, by the way. We, were, we had a witch come and curse us. We had, we had three exorcisms we had to do, which I didn't know anything about. But uh, that gospel is powerful, and the world pushes against it. We talk a little bit about the shame that you feel. And mm -hmm. I don't know. We both do podcasts, and we don't know who are listening in our podcast. And if there's anybody that's listening right now uh, that is feeling lonely and feeling shameful, mm. how can we help and how can we help them with yeah. what we are feeling regarding Perfect. that? Perfect. Thank you so much for asking that question. Let me read a, a set of words. This is, I guess, in my life verses, Ephesians 3. Paul is speaking to the Ephesian church. It's a church plant. And they're going to mess up. We know that from Revelation 2. They're going to fall short. They're going to fall from their first love. But this is what he says to them and says to us today. And he's modeling something. So for this reason, he says, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven on earth derives its name. That's identity. That's honor. That's worth. That's enfranchisement. That's empowerment. His name, right? Identity. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. Three times in this section, he'll talk about power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you being rooted in perception love may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp, and to cling to, to grab hold onto with your fingertips, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So what he's telling, this is very sophisticated. A lot of my work is based on neuroscience and attachment theory and counseling. But this is so sophisticated for Paul in the first century. He says, to, to Christians in Ephesus, he says, look, I know you have the love of Christ. He purchased that, you know, now 2,000 years ago. It's already done.
But you need power today from God, from his, his, his celestial riches, in order to begin to feel it. That's what he's saying. So the, the idea is that because of the way the world has treated us, the inner working models of our brain, the, 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 the way relationships have hurt us or not hurt us, there's our brain will have a hard time feeling loved by God on a daily basis. So Paul is modeling what we need to do to actually pray for it. Don Calvin, he's not known for this, he should be, but in his third uh, book of the Institutes, he says that the secret workings of the Holy Spirit in us, and we Christians, is to make us experience the favor of God today, the love of God today. So, so that Christian who's listening to the podcast, Mahal, uh, who's feeling beat up, who's feeling like they haven't lived up to the, to the expectations of God or Jesus or the Spirit. They feel like they've fallen short. They have this critical inner voice in their head that's telling them that God can't love them, the sinner, love them, the failed wife, failed husband, fit, whatever it might be. Uh, the Holy Spirit is there in, in, the, in, in your inner being, wherever that is, and, and you can ask him to make you feel empowered from God so that you can actually begin to feel the love of Christ for you today as you are. So this is true if you're a Christian addict. This is true whether you're a Christian adulterer, whether you're, you've fallen away from, you say, fallen away from faith. You can re-experience this love of God again. Um, it's easy. You just ask. And, and we've, we actually we put together this thing called the Simple and Cluttered Gospel. Let me, it's, it's, let me read it to you because this is what we recommend that people say twice a day. And I say it more than twice a day. Like I said, I'm shame prone. Here it is. Jesus follower, strictly because of what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago, God actually loves you. He loves you with all of his heart. As much as the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father, he can't love you any more or any less than he does right now. He loves you as you are, not as you should be or could be. You can't add to this love or take away from it. Now, I get it. It often feels like you've messed it up or need to do something so that God would like you better. Not so. How do you experience it more? Simple, good news. There is something that you can do. We always need to help people do something. And you're invited to do it. You can take daily baby steps to ask the spirit inside of you to make you know, experience, and feel just how much God loves you right now. Just ask. Ask again later today. Ask tomorrow. Make it a spiritual habit. I have seen and witnessed people who were devastated, uh, addicts, people who were pursuing a variety of, of sexual lifestyles, people who were... Uh, into porn, into uh, who, who are struggling with their marriage, uh, say this this prayer or something like it twice a day and have dramatic results. They begin to feel loved by God, and it sets them free again. They're Christians, right? They're headed to heaven, but right now the world has just put weights on them, and uh, for whatever reason, mommy issues, daddy issues, depression, anxiety. Um, they can't feel the love of God now, and that's a shame. That's tragic. It can change. Yes, I agree. That's really tragic. You know, not not knowing God, they're feeling alone, and like me and my yep. family talk about, like being a Christian is hard. But I just can't honestly, I can't honestly know how other people who don't have God in their life, 
how do they survive? Because that's like our stronghold is knowing that God is there, Jesus yeah. is there, you know? Yeah. He's your strength. So That's the right word. They survive. Millennials just leave church. And and they're leaving church because the number one reason they're leaving church in my in my interviews is they feel shamed every time they go. They don't feel like God loves them, and they don't pick that up in their churches. And pastors are surprised to hear. One lady I know, millennial, I mean, mature Christian, she went to her home church, the church that she'd been going to, and she was having a bad day, maybe in a bad week or a bad month. This is a beautiful, beautiful lady. And she, she walked into her church late, and everybody was raising their hands, praising the victorious Jesus, she said. And she looked around and said, I don't feel like Jesus is victorious in my life. I don't belong here. She left her church in a moment. That's And we're seeing up to 70% of millennials, Christian millennials have already left their churches. They are not experiencing the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ. What they're experiencing is expectations put on them. The application part of the sermons are, are putting weight on them and just making them fear failure again. What they want to experience is the this love of God, this empowering love of God, this enfranchising love of God. It can be done, but we have to intentionally start doing it again. We're losing a generation. Yeah, I heard that, and I was really surprised about that percentage before. I'm like, wow, really, we're like losing so much. And it's actually like in a couple of months, I think that um, me and Annette are going to be talking in our podcast. And before I forget... So I'm going to ask uh, with our conversation with what we just said is so there are like a lot of Christians, even in some of the Christian churches that I know, that they're losing some of the people that go to their church, like what you said. Yep. Why do you think is the why is why do you think is the reason why some of the Christians are leaving their their churches, and what can the churches do? To make those mm-hmm. people feel mm-hmm. unashamed and feel mm-hmm. that we love and they belong. Yeah. yeah, such a great question. Uh, so, so I do revitalization consulting for churches, and this is the number one thing I tell tell pastors: is first of all, uh, before you do your message, before you do the worship, before you pray, before you do any of that stuff, I want you to imagine people coming to your church. And in this day and time, with anxiety so high, with depression so high, with suicide ideation so high, particularly among young people, I want you to imagine that those people are actually coming into your church and sitting down there. You don't need to have a face, a name to the face, but I want you to, to imagine that uh, you're speaking to the woman at the well. You're, you're speaking to the prostitute. You're speaking to the blind man. You're speaking to Matthew, and who was rejected by his culture because he was a tax person. And I want you to imagine them and make sure that you say something of good news of God's love for people like them so that they will be touched before they leave. And and make sure you address it directly and you you welcome sinners, you welcome the disenfranchised, you welcome the beat up, you welcome the people that have been betrayed, you welcome the people who are considering suicide, you're welcoming the people who are sad. And here's a, I mean, 44% according to one study of people, uh, young people in 2019, 44% uh, report feelings of sadness and hopelessness. That's 2019, pre-COVID. So it's probably up to 50%. Half the young people, if you have young people coming to your church, they're probably feeling sadness and hopelessness. And, And God help you if you don't mention that. And you speak of the love of God for hopeless people. 
the love of God for sad people, people who are inconsolable, people who uh, feel like they don't belong. And if you have those people in mind, I, I'm a big fan of, of doing communion every week, but making communion an invitation to broken people to be embraced and to be touched by Jesus, for them to come up and look into Jesus' eyes as they are and to actually feel, ask the Spirit to make them feel the love of, of Jesus for them at the meal. That's the point of a communion meal. And, and you'd be surprised the difference that makes in a congregation. The, the problem is, uh, is, is that your, your church will start being filled with broken people, and you'll look more and more like Jesus and his disciples. They will be diff more difficult to manage. They, it will be an odd, you know, it'd be an odd bunch uh, and a glorious bunch because they will be affected by the gospel. And, and I promise you, it'll be those people who are touched by Jesus, broken people, disenfranchised, disempowered people who are touched by Jesus who will be your greatest missionaries and evangelists. Based on what we just talked about, you know, being evangelizing mm -hmm. and telling others, you know, not every, we all have our different fruits of the Spirit, you know? Yeah. Um, like, you and I can talk about it and share with two people, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I know that you go to a lot of guest speaking in different mm -hmm. conferences. Mm -hmm. But my question is for the other Christian people that are listening that have a different fruit of the Spirit. Mm. How should they approach and how should they talk to the other people and mm. share first the salvation of Jesus? Mm. And especially how would they approach like either the people that they know or their family members that are not mm. saved, mm -hmm. people that are feeling shameful, loneliness, mm -hmm or people that are like so yeah. overwhelmed that they feel like committing suicide. Like yeah. me and my other friend were talking, I said, no, it just shows that, look at Hollywood. They got all the fame, all the money, but they're lonely because they don't have a good friend to talk to and they yeah. don't have Jesus in their life. How should people approach yeah. others about salvation? Yeah, and, and those people that you just mentioned, they, they're... They're not looking at the church to be empathetic. They actually feel like if they come to church, they're going to see narrow-minded and exclusive pinheads who will just make them feel worse, right? Who will just judge them and tell them they're going to hell. That's, that's the caricature. So here's, again, very simply, and this might sound counterintuitive, but if, they can, if those very people can preach that gospel to themselves, that simple and cluttered gospel that I read, that you can go to Ephesians 3 and say, okay, God, today, fill me, make me feel your love for me. Do it again in the evening, do it again, in the, and do it for 30, 40 days. What will happen is the light of Jesus will begin to shine out from them differently. Using their gifts, I think that's a great approach. Whatever their gift will be, they will come across like Jesus came across, empathetic, uh, consoling, empowering. They will, uh, they, will be, they will be exuding less judgment towards people. People can pick this up. Millennials are very sensitive to being judged and being shamed. And what will happen is the Holy Spirit inside of that person, uh, later on in, the, in Ephesians, let me read you this, because this is, this is so powerful, that you, may, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, that's a mysterious statement. Among the many things it can mean, it certainly means that I'm going to be looking more like Jesus. And Jesus attracted people. He attracted broken people. They came to him, and they, they were open to hear something about the love of God, something about his face, something about his eyes shining on people, or it's disarming. Think about the Samaritan woman at the well. I mean, she was the least likely 
to have been open to hear anything from a Jewish rabbi, a male. And yes, she was. And she went with knowing nothing. She didn't go to an evangelism course. She actually went, and the very first revival, missionary journey happened, and many in her village were saved. So I don't think it's what we say. I, I think that if we're preaching the gospel to ourselves, we soften and we become more caring and more empathetic. Not perfectly. That's Jesus. That's heaven. People are more willing to hear us. That's what I found. Even though I'm an engineer and you know business person, God brought a bunch of rape victims to my church, and I had to, I had to realize that I couldn't reason them into the kingdom. They were hurting, and and what they wanted was something from me, exuding from me that I didn't have naturally because I'm shame prone, and it made them hear the gospel, not me, not my words. And again and again, it's funny because as I would preach, uh, and and people would would be dramatically moved. So often it would. I had one one guy say, "So Pastor Bill, and this was conversion for him." He, he said, "Pastor Bill, it was when you said that I should kneel down at the foot of the cross and confess my sins." I didn't say that. I have the sermon on tape. I didn't say that. But whatever I was saying, the Holy Spirit grabbed that person's heart and squeezed, and they heard something that was remarkable. And God is so funny that way. So it's not what we say. I think we spent two couple generations focused on how we convince people. And we need to stop that. We just we actually need to shine the light of Jesus so they will see our good works and glorify him. It's easy to do, but we have to be a little more humble. Thank you. Yes, I heard somewhere that I think is it the way that they said it's some people might forget what you say, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Oh, that's that's fantastic. That's exactly right. And and you start off by asking the Holy Spirit to make you feel that. We talked a little bit earlier about Paul, and we know that you know Paul is just amazing reading and you know things that he writes, and so some people are like going through some circumstances or struggling with shame or anything like that. Why do you think that even though Paul was in prison, that, you know, like he said, things that I want to do, I can't really do. And he's, he's still all about Jesus, about love and struggles. What can you say about that? Why is he like, why does he have still the joy in his heart, even though he's in the midst of suffering, which some people are suffering? Yeah, I mean, I think Romans 8 talks about Paul's, the end of Paul's journey, where he, he realizes that through the Holy Spirit, first of all, that this love of Christ loves sinners. And that means he could speak to Roman jailers, he could speak to Caesars, he could speak to, it, it just, there was no walls for him anymore. But he didn't start off that way, he started off being very exclusive and murderous even. But then he came to realize that it was the Holy Spirit that empowered him to actually love the unlovable. And so he, I think at the end, Romans 8 is really key. He saw the church of Jesus being this place where those people who had been outcast, disenfranchised, uh, disavowed, ashamed of all generations, of all cultures, all people groups, all sexes, all races, could actually be part of this and be empowered. Uh, he saw something sp particularly different. So his view of church doesn't look much like uh, many, many of our churches, which do, do look pretty exclusive, and we all sound the same in, in some ways, which is, which is too bad. And for some people that are asking this question, you know, this question is asked by people that are unbelievers or maybe Christians that stumble in their life, 
and ask this question, what advice can you give them? The question is, if God is really good, why are bad things happening in my life? Why are they feeling ashamed? Why are they backsliding? Oh my gosh, I'm writing, that's so great. I'm writing a book now, The Sermon on the Mount, and just finished the Beatitudes. And the last two Beatitudes, uh, Jesus, I mean, he's talking about Instead of blessed or the poor in spirit, I think the best uh, translation is enviable or you who are formerly unenviable. But he gets down to persecution, and in two of the Beatitudes, two of the nine Beatitudes, he says, and by the way, you're going to be persecuted. By the way, you go out there and you share this message about those who are unenviable, crushed, beat up, and you tell them in Christ they can feel enviable, they can feel glorious, empowered. And that's the word of the age is we want to be empowered. We want to, be, we want to remove the disenfranchisement that's happening to blacks, to women, to Asians, and, and, uh, and, and, and gays and lesbians. They, they want to be empowered. But then Jesus says, you go give that good message, that helpful message, and there will be pushback because this world hates that message, is challenged by that message. You would think doing good things and you'd get the Nobel Peace Prize. But what Jesus is saying in his name, you go out there and, and people, well-meaning people, will push back and you will be persecuted. You will be beat up. But, then he says, you are light. You are salt. He, he doesn't say you should be or could be or I hope you are. He says you are light. You are salt. So, even in the midst of the persecution, even you are, even though you're going to experience some crucifixion, just like me, you're going to see some amazing things, and, and you are going to be used purposely, and great things will happen. And, and, and in the, at the end of that section, he says, and they will see your good works, and they will glorify your Father. So this isn't going to be a cakewalk, and um, so we're going to get beat up. We will suffer. That is part of the plan of God. Now, I will say this. If God asked me, I would say it's a terrible plan. i got to tell you. I, I, don't, I think it's a bad plan. God help me. But uh, if I were God, I would do it differently. But I'm, unfortunately, I'm not God. I would really screwed things up. So I can't say why exactly other than Jesus said it's going to happen. And I found that to be true. Uh, those, the peacemakers will be persecuted. They will be crucified. They will be flogged. They will be rejected. They, they will. They will lose friends, unfairly, uh, totally. Uh, so I'm sad about that. I'm sorry about that. It's just gonna happen. And I actually do several uh, small group and some Bible study. And actually, one of the things that I like and I never forget is one line that um, Rick Warren mentioned: that life is the best. Because our life here is completely a test. But this is just temporary, you know. When we're done in yeah. here. Your question, you go with Jesus. And That's right. Next question is, you and I are both parents, and, you know, it's important for us leaving the legacy, like with, with my children. I also mm -hmm. make sure that they know the Bible mm -hmm. and all the things. But what advice can you give to anybody listening that may be in a different circumstance that they're trying to help their child because maybe mm -hmm. child have some shame or they have some identity problem or conflict or they have things going on and they don't know what to do with their kids. Mm -hmm. so what advice can you give? <laughs> All right, so this could be a shameless plug. I'm actually, uh, some of the things that we're doing at Gospel App Ministries is we're creating online journeys for Christians. We're, we're figuring that, you know, churches can only reach a certain set 
group them. But online, you can reach the world. So we have we have two right now. One is for people who there's something they can't forgive. It's called Forgiving Path, at ForgivingPath.com. Uh, and amazing results. Over a thousand Christians have been through a 20% reduction in revenge, uh, 80% experience of justice for the crime. I mean, amazing things. It was my doctoral thesis. Uh, the second one was the dance. This is for people who are feeling shamed, uh, feeling isolated, feeling disenfranchised, feeling like they're a disappointment to God. It's called the dance, the-dance.org. If any of your listeners want to do the forgiving path or the dance, uh, they should put the coupon, come to Jesus. That's your show. Come to Jesus, one word, and put that in the coupon code. They get 10 bucks off. So it's just $19. Two hours. Both of them are just two hours. The results, and we do, it's evidence-based before and after. Um, The dance uh, talks about your sense of relationship to others, your sense of relationship to God, your self-identity, your self-worth, and also your experience of vindication. But the last one that we just created, we're doing a beta test right now, I should start having results, is called Good Enough Parent. And it's for parents of teens and tweens. And it's basically, how do I give my gospel, how do I give the gospel to my kid? And middle school, high school, these, this is the time attachment theory tells us, neuroscience tells us a great mental change. So there is something that we can do from a gospel standpoint. And so it's 15 sessions 15 minutes a day for 15 days, and it's called Good Enough Parent. And if any of your listeners are curious uh, and want to try that, um, like I said, it's beta tested now. We'll roll it out at the end of the summer publicly. But they can contact me, bill at gospel-app.com, bill at gospel-app.com. So here's, here's the one thing that you can do is your child is always looking subconsciously to answer the question, are you there for me? They, they probably can't say it. They probably wouldn't say it if they were a teenager anyway. But everything they do, every pushback, every time they storm away from the table, if they don't eat their peas or they come home and they go into their room and they get on the gamers or whatever, uh, or, or even people they hang out with, they, they are wanting to answer the question, am I good enough? Am I worthy of love? Is there somebody who's got my back? And so what we do in Good Enough Parent is we give parents uh, an awareness of what's going on in their teen brain from, the, uh, from a neuroscience perspective. But then we give them little tidbits that they can grab hold of to communicate to their child in their context, to communicate to their child, yeah, I got your back. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm your biggest fan. And nothing you can do. This is a gospel thing, right? Nothing you can do can make me stop loving you. I might be angry at you. I'm always, I've always got your back, and that's the point. We can do better in parenting, a lot better. That's amazing, and I suggest our listeners check it out, and we're also going to be putting it in our description page. And my next question is, what advice can you give to the people listening right now who haven't made that decision, that they haven't accepted Christ as their personal Savior? What advice should you give them? I mean, it's free salvation, right? It's free gift. So yeah, yeah, and and to, to unpack that. Uh, so in this day and age, most most people, secular folks, unbelievers, don't care about heaven or hell. As a matter of fact, that turns off the conversation. They don't know what salvation is. That's a church word. But but look, how's it going in your life? 
Uh, how are you feeling about yourself and your relationships? Do you feel disenfranchised? Do you feel alone? Do you feel uh, dark? Do you feel depressed? Do you feel anxious? Well, uh, has, how, what have you been doing to, to remedy that? Here's something you can do. Just, just intellectual integrity. Ask Jesus, who you may or may not believe in right now, but just say a prayer. Jesus, make me feel your love for me as I am. Make me feel that you're the kind of God or person that can have my back and surprise me, shock me. If you're there, do your magic. And I'm, I'm just going to keep asking until something changes and just test it. Uh, what people, young people are asking, unbelievers are asking is pastor, uh, evangelist, what do you have in your magic bag of tricks that can make me feel better about myself, my relationships, my identity, my sense of self-worth? Because nothing's working. And uh, our answer is this relationship with Jesus, with this empathetic, uh, compassionate, powerful teacher who gave up everything to suffer so that you could be empowered and enfranchised in this relationship with God, so that you could look into the eyes of God and feel loved, uh, tested to be true. Thank you so much, and I appreciate everything that you, all the wisdom that you have shared with us. And I know everybody listening are very blessed. And one more time before we leave, can you tell them the website with your book and everything to get the information for you? The website is gospel-app.com, gospel-app.com, and you can find The Forgiving Path, you can find The Dance and uh, by the end of the summer, you'll find Good Enough Parent there. That's amazing. I can't wait to see it and share with, with others. And yeah, thank you so much. And we really appreciate having you in our show today. And Thanks. I hope you have a blessed day. Thanks, Paul. And to all our listeners, I hope you enjoyed listening to another wonderful, informative episode that we have today with our special guest. And our prayer is that if you haven't made that decision yet, that through His words, that you will make that decision and accept Christ as your personal Savior. Again, thank you, and I hope you all stay blessed. And always remember, come to Jesus daily. Take care, everyone, and until next time, stay blessed. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and grief to bear. and temptation 
Calvary 